so many people uh, new coming up in the scene don't know what that venue was or they don't know the history of it mm-hmm. and I again that's why I just feel so it's so important to like know your history and like know I was there before you but I find it really sad sometimes when I'm walking through my city and uh, loafers like the oldest bar in Ireland is closed and Instinct is now like a food shop and like all these club nights are, are gone. I am Kay Anderson and you are listening to Lost Spaces, a podcast that mourns the death of queer nightlife. Every episode I talk to a different person about a venue from their past, the memories they created there and the people that they used to know. Candy Warhol is co-host of Comedy Central UK's Dragony Arts, mother and HBIC of the House of Moki, and uh, yeah, an absolute sweetheart. Uh, but before she was Candy, she was a fresh-faced 18-year-old who worked herself all the way up from glass collector to the manager of Instinct Bar in Cork. I mean... Can you imagine that, though, putting an 18-year-old in charge of your pub? Ridiculous. So we are going to be talking about Instinct Bar. Instinct Bar. That is a very mid-noughties name um, so, for a bar. So. And you know what the tagline was? Guess. Um, uh, meet your... No. Oh. oh, I'm just not on form. It was Instinct, dot, 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 follow yours. <laughs> scream are you sure it wasn't a deodorant that sounds like oh. yeah i know i know and and you know what's so funny um when i was thinking back to like so there was actually like four or five spaces in 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 cork um um open at the time and when i was looking at their names i think back the names yeah there's just something about like 90s mid noughties gay <laughs> spaces just had like these really like funny names so i don't know what that was at the time i don't know but that thank god that's just not ireland i think that's all over right oh yeah yeah definitely but what were some of the others then so so the the main bar in cork at the time was instinct and then there was um so a really like alternative night that was just open on wednesdays was called freak scene and then there was like a more like a queer space called the other place and then there was flux and then there was um oh my god there was two other nights i think that were just open on a friday or saturday called rubies uh sinners and then there was this um gay pub that actually is the was up until a few years ago the oldest um uh, queer establishment in Ireland. It was the fir- very first to open, and that was called Loafers, and that oh. that that closed a couple of years ago. Oh. Yeah, so it's crazy now that there's technically only one um, gay bar in all of Cork, and at that time, um, you know, for for me when I uh, would have been going to like the likes of Instinct, that that was 2008, and to have that was like an abundance of of yeah. options. Well, I was going to say, like, so so uh, for those that don't know. 
um, homosexuality wasn't decriminalized in Ireland until like the 90s, 93. I think it was 93 or 94. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then on top of that, Cork is pretty small a city. So for it to have all of those kind of queer nights going on, like ten years after decriminalisation, that's pretty like. Yeah, impressive. well, so, yeah, like for Cork is always a confusing one because Cork is actually the biggest county in Ireland, but then city-wise, it would be like not huge. So, oh, um, so like Dublin is obviously, you know. Um, the main city in Ireland, followed by Cork and Galway. Um, so there's only a few places in all Ireland that would have a gay bar now. But yeah, for I think this is happening all over. You know, and again, it's a great reason why you're doing this podcast. But for some reason, up to five and ten years ago, there was an abundance of of um, queer venues, and now they're just all very quickly closing. Um, and I think. I just find it, yeah, I find it baffling that when I was coming out and, and and clubbing for the first time, that there was actually a lot of options compared to now, you know, mm-hmm. when being gay or being a queer person is far more acceptable and, uh, and, um, and safe now, there's sometimes far less choice. And then that kind of like brings the debate then, is there a need, is there not a need because it's more accepting? But I always feel that there is a need for queer uh, spaces, yeah. you know. It's, yeah, or have those spaces been replaced by things online, I suppose? Yeah, um, yeah, online or club nights, or is it just, you know, you you can go to a lot of pubs and bars now, especially in Cork, that are primarily, you know, quote, straight uh, venues and feel safe yeah. holding a guy's hand, yeah. you know? And I, and yeah, I completely get that, but I, I, I think there's something said as well for having your own space and having a queer space where you just know, okay, you have the 100% security that nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you know, maybe get a camper selection of songs and a drag queen, you know, but, but um, yeah, you know, like I get asked that a lot. Is there, is there a need for a queer spaces? And I 100% think that they're always, will be and that there should be you know i'm all for one integrating everybody and and um incorporating you know like queer nights and and you know primarily straight nights together but i think that there's just something again something said for just having the space that you can go to and feel like it's yours mm-hmm. and so then with instinct bar in my extensive research online, I found <laughs> that it opened in 2004 and then the last trace of anything that uh, I found was a post from 2008 saying we're now we're now five years old and Mm. and we've been going strong since we opened in 2004 and then nothing nothing but you said that you started going there in 2008 so did it continue on beyond that yeah it did for a little while um um so yeah this is really bizarre like the story and what's so funny is it's one of those things, you know, do you have experiences in your life where you just slightly forget about it? And then when you when you speak about them, when you think about them, especially for something like this, where you actually have to re, uh, recollect your memories, things just come flooding back. But in a way where you're like, wow, that place really meant so much to me. And I can't believe I forgot stuff. Um, so I I came out when I I came out in two. I I think around 2006, I was 16 and I was in fourth year in college. And then I turned 18 at the beginning of my sixth year. And obviously I'd been waiting the whole time, you know, I'm going to have like my first gay bar experience. 
and um and yeah, Instinct was the very first place that, that I went on my 18th birthday. And it was, you know, it was just the cool place to be. And like looking back, it's probably like the only place to be properly like on a Saturday night. And I remember just being like so excited. I thought that I was going somewhere just like so alternative and so underground. And yeah, I remember like, I mean, really like to, to give you the layout of it, it was when you walked in, it was pretty much like a, just an Irish pub that was quite dark. And then you, there was a like a makeshift dance floor with a DJ and a stripper pole that was like <laughs> the coolest thing. If you got your stake on that pole, like people would just be like, yes, I have it. Brilliant. And Did you, but sorry, hang on. Did you just say it was like a typical Irish pub and then say with a stripper pole? So it was like a, it was it, it, yeah it was a, it was a typical Irish pub and then they whoever bought it was like okay let's make a dance floor in the back and put a pole and like some okay but you're, artwork so but you're not saying that a typical Irish bar comes with a stripper pole just so no. I'm clear okay. no it doesn't for any tourists out there I do apologize yeah um but yeah so I would have pretty much I mean had either a Friday night or Saturday night that out there up until the end of my school year. And I remember, you know, it was where I made a lot of my first gay friends at the time. It was where I had my first gay kiss. Um, it was <laughs> Your first gay kiss. Oh yeah, well, I would, I, yeah. Because I would have kissed, I would have oh, like sorry. kissed girls and stuff when I was this younger. Just made, like, why would you do that? Yeah, I know. Yeah, not that I enjoyed it, <laughs> but I would have kissed girls. And for some reason, I was just really like awkward as a teen. So I just always made the decision, even though I would have been asked out by guys, you know, on the typical MSN. I was, I always made that decision of, you know, I'm going to wait till I'm 18 till I can go clubbing so that I can date properly. So I had my first gay kiss when I was 18, and then, then. Yeah, when when I finished school in June, I had a really good friend, um, Lawrence, and he was working in the bar at the time. And to me at the time, he was very cool. And I still mock him about this uh, uh, to this day, but he was kind of like a MySpace kid, like very Jeffree Star, handbag, jeans, jewellery, very cool, like makeup and extensions and um, uh, just like all around cool at that time and um and i think i actually have this right he i think he did go on a tour hung out with jeffrey star at the time so it was like to me it was just like oh my god so cool and he him and me would go to like freak scene on a wednesday which was uh, like again a makeshift club night and he got me a job in instinct when i finished school in june so then suddenly i was like working in what i thought was the coolest space (laughs) In Cork City. So, so you, just, you made it. You just peaked so I, early. I felt like I made it. I felt like I was one of the cool kids. Um, and then then I just had like what I remember, although it was like ups and downs, I just had like such a cool year, like working in this gay bar. Um, I got into art college. Um, so I was like, would uh, work in art college. Uh, sorry, study in art college Monday to Friday in a different city, Limerick. Get the bus down, work Friday, Saturday in the club. And then I worked myself up to events manager and like supervisor and like DJ in the bar. So I would like DJ and come up with like the 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 themes for the events and stuff like that. But I just have like the wildest memories in there. And now when I walk past that building, because now it's a, a co-op, like a, a food co-op. So when I walk past there, <laughs> I will just look in and be like, okay, where that like cheese and milk is I would hang off those handlebars at six in the morning after a lock-in completely out of my head you know it's just fun <laughs> it's great looking back um yeah I just had some like the wildest times in there and I think that's what 
really that place was known for. It wasn't known for being classy or clean or like, you know, like, yeah, the super swanky place. There was just like always a riot in there. It was packed so constantly. Like, honestly, I'm pretty sure the capacity was 150 and you would get like 300 odd people in there on a busy Saturday night, completely on top of each other, like sweating, <laughs> like da- like dancing to what, like, I don't know, Girls Aloud or like, um, I think Gaga came out in 2008. So like just all of that, just like the best Saturday nights. And they would have things like... <sighs> phone parties and just like everything as tacky as you can possibly imagine like phone parties and like gaga impersonator and like just oh my god like we only look back and we're like i thought that was the coolest thing <laughs> i mean it sounds like it was so if we just then cycle back to the first night oh my god yeah so you were so you talked about the anticipation and how excited you were in the build-up mm-hmm. to it do you remember like that what happened when you came through the door the first time? I remember being really nervous going up to the bouncer to hand him my ID because I had just turned 18. And that's oddly, for years, like a feeling that stayed with me every time I would go to a bouncer. I'm not sure why. Um, I remember just being so excited, like going in, but also quite nervous. I think as a lot, a lot of young gay men would be. And um, just just this feeling of like, oh, wow, this is it. I thought it was going to be this massive nightclub with like different levels <laughs> and and it really was like this little pub and then the dance floor so um i remember just i i think i had yeah i had my 18th birthday that night in a separate bar and then myself and about 10 or 15 friends went and i remember dancing to like my favorite band girls aloud i think it was something kind of ooh was out at the time <laughs> that was like absolute bop and <laughs> my absolute life but also I think again this is something a lot of gay men can like relate to when they're when when they're 18 being in that gay bar and like for the first time feeling people's eyes on you and vice versa so like having it's being checked out and checking guys out at the same time for the first time and being slightly aware of yourself and oh like the you the new young like because you're in a small town, like like one of the young new gay guys to like walk in, you know, it's not like you're like in again in London or New York where there's like thousands of us. This is like maybe like a hundred or two hundred of us, you know. So just yeah, it was just like a, a huge mix of, of feelings. But I remember just being really excited, and I remember, especially for the first few months. I don't know why I would always lie, even though I was out to my parents and like quite proud and excited to be gay at the time. They'd be like, where'd you go on Friday? And I would always say a different bar just because at the time I just I just felt like I was somewhere that was really underground and secretive. And that's what they thought as well. When I first started working there, they thought they just envisioned they told me this years later. They envisioned me working in the bar and it being like a leather cruising bar. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that was not it that was me behind the DJ decks playing Girls Aloud and Tattoo with a smoke machine and like yeah <laughs> I mean it's kind of close to a leather bar I mean that, oh, that description completely. yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's great but, but that's yeah that's really interesting isn't it do you think it's that uh, mm, like for want of a better term that internalised homophobia yep 100% oh that's completely what it was I was ashamed but why? Um, I get like upset now when I think about it as to why. But again, 
like growing up, like now, oh my God, I'm so lucky with my parents and my family. But growing up, again, it was just what a difference I think a decade makes because 10 years ago, just things were very, very different. Mm. And growing up, like in my teens, um, I knew I was gay. I mean, I knew I was gay and I, or I knew I was attracted to boys from the age of like seven or eight. But and then I and then I realized that I was gay when I was twelve or thirteen, and just through those years, it was always a negative. So in school, you know, I was a girl or gay, faggot, beaten up, like just called out. So it was from a young age taught to me that this was a negative, bad thing. And because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I speak a lot about how lucky we are today. Um, although we have a long way to come, we're very lucky today with the amount of uh, mainstream. Um, personalities that are open um, and back then really it was if someone was open it was you know like the camp character in Coronation Street mm. or like just someone extremely flamboyant and and um, so yeah I'd never had somebody to relate to or, or I, it was just always this kind of you know there I, it was definitely said to me a couple of times you know oh thank god you're not gay or like at least we know you're not gay like growing up mm. Which was really, I think, a way of my parents deflecting as well. And um, so, yeah, I, th- I think, I think, although I came out to my friends at sixteen, I came out to my parents at seventeen. I think for the first year or two, there was still a very much a secretive um, trait about me that would just want to keep things guard, like guarded. And up until I think about when I was twenty-one and I brought somebody home for the first time. And that was really my test of like, oh, things are either going to, sh- uh, shit's going to hit the fan or it's going to be okay. And it was okay. And then really once the the drag came into things, like the dynamic of the family completely changed. And now it's a completely different world. But just at the time, I mean, we, we joked earlier about like the phone party. And I remember it was a Friday night, went to the phone party, uh, couldn't get a cab because I was so soaking from head to toe with my friend we were shivering and like laughing so much and I got home and all my clothes were soaked and I remember my mom coming in being like where did you go last night and I said a different bar and she said and what was happening there I was like oh there's a phone party and then she her best friend's daughter was at the bar that I said I was and she was like there wasn't a phone party there last night and that's when I was like caught out and then there was almost this air of like to me I was saying why am I lying yeah you know, but again, I mean, it was slightly proven to me years later when my parents told me that that's what they thought I was at, like this sort of like leather bar getting like whipped by a daddy, <laughs> Do you know. But so hang on. OK, so there's a few questions I have following up here. So that first of all, that poor boy that you brought in to test your parents I <laughs> to know. stay the night. Lol. And I hope I hope he's OK. Second of all, like, so is your mum this kind of meddling type then that she's like going to go and check out with this person and this person and this person and that's how she found out (laughs) no I think my mom always to this day knows when I'm lying (laughs) she always knows I just have this weird habit I think of like when I feel like I'm being caught out and it's probably me getting in my own head and that I'm just like oh better protect myself and 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 like my mother you know from from knowing the truth but I mean once you kind of like release yourself from that and kind of like just stop caring you just realize like other people generally will too Mm. um but I definitely know that for the first year or two that wasn't something that was in my head I do know that that was a worry you know Mm. there was when I remember coming out and they're them asking saying to me that I was going to have a really hard life and like and and I remember going well I've been out for a year already and like everything's been super positive so far and I feel happier (laughs) you know and yes Jesus 
for all of us, and this is something we can all relate to, there, uh, there is very as much as we're like, wow, we're getting mainstream attention media. Wow, it's so much uh, better to be open as a LGBTQIA plus person. It, there's still really hard aspects of it, and 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 I, yeah, I think when it comes to your your family, especially, it can hard to be relate relate to them sometimes, and they do have that worry for you that things, you know, yeah. again, we don't have that norm. So well, it's this whole yeah. It's I mean, it's this whole world that they are never going to understand and understand that's something yeah. that that you are part of, and that kind of distances you from them, whether you like it or not. I exactly. And there was also like this sense as well that I also didn't want to share it with them because at the time I was very much like this space is mine. Yeah. And this space is like where me and my gay friends go, and it's really special to me because it's where I'm learning a bit more about myself and I'm also I don't know able to like flamboyantly dance around to the sugar babes and girls aloud and gaga and be like yeah like I can I can be really camp do you know yeah. so like I at that age it's like why would you want to share all of that as well with yeah. your parents you know well yeah um uh and this I want to talk a bit more about the secretive thing as well because that's something like you know that there's bits of your character that you're not really sure if it's because of your queerness or because yeah. of, like just just because so I am quite a secretive person but not like I don't know it's, uh, yeah I, I and I don't I don't know if it is linked to that internalized homophobia or protecting people by yeah. by giving them half truths mm. um, and that's kind of a learned behavior or if yeah. it's just that I'm like I'd rather you didn't know. <laughs> yeah 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 and I think yeah do yeah. you do you carry any of that like a hundred percent okay yeah, um a little bit a little bit it's something that I really over the years come to um look back on and assess and I'm much more aware of 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 that that's something that I used to do and I remember my mom kind of saying you know once you go past 25 you're really going to stop giving two shits about what people think and that's that's 50 50 like I really really did kind of gain a new confidence over the last couple of years and but it's I I'm still a person that is quite self-aware and insecure at times and I do worry about what people think or what they might say so I wouldn't wear like my heart on my sleeve constantly mm. um Again, it's it's it, yeah. It, I think it, I think it's completely like um, yeah. I think protecting yourself and also I'd like to get this right. Just slightly when it comes to queer things and get and gay things, there is a slight bit of shame. And I think that's something that's just been like ingrained to a lot of us growing up. And it's really a lot of it. A lot of it's gone, but there's still little bits of it there. You know, I mean, if you're speaking to your grandfather or somebody in your family and they're like, are you dating any girl? Or like, <laughs> like, what what do you do for work? Sometimes with me, I'm like, I'm a drag queen. But when you look around your family and there's people getting insecure and like embarrassed, that's like, it kind of like brings you back to like you being 12. Mm. And, you know, mm. and then you're like, well, you know, should I be insecure because you are? So it's a really it's an up and down thing with me. It's it's um it's something that like gets better constantly, but it's it's funny. Like I think 
there's something about being at home or like being back in your home city, like things or like having somebody call you out on the street or make fun of you. It'll just bring you back to that insecure 12 year old at times. So you could have all the coping mechanisms in the world, but all it takes sometimes is just one small incident or words and you're completely brought back you know yeah and there is and there's that thing as well so when you are in that position and you um take the path of least resistance because you're rationalizing in order to to protect everyone else's feelings rather than protect your own like you can understand in that moment and you can yeah you can rationalize that to yourself but there is this thing that kind of just erodes like erodes you and like your sense of self-value by doing that and by making those choices over and over yeah completely i know where did we go it's it's exhausting isn't it sometimes yeah yeah so anyway let's talk about girls aloud because that's a bit easier i think oh my god i uh, who's your favorite nadine oh really oh okay wait that's not an irish thing is it um yeah it's, it's a 50 50 thing um so i have two favorite members and that would be nicola and and um and nadine um when i was younger when i was 15 16 sarah was my favorite because she was just like the wild child party animal and then i went to see them i think it was okay so i've seen them live six times so, just, just, oh okay like, so you weren't fooling you were like, oh no i'm quite a big fan um so yeah when i saw them live for i think the second time second or third time and i saw nicola in full like white porcelain like skin i was like oh! i just have a thing with like poor singers and like and red hair just typical gay and um she i she's stunning i think she's an absolutely incredible uh vocalist her solo album i think just like some of her songwriting is fantastic um but then also nadine so you have to think as well right you're like nadine was like in our irish pop stars so and i don't know if you know the whole incident like every you can't not know the incident so that was like all over the press over here that was like all everybody was the con- like when that moment happened on tv every person in ireland was watching it because we only had like four channels so everyone was like <laughs> <gasps> she's 16 and when she got into Girls Alive, the whole country was so proud of her. So every time she's done something or, you know, they've got another singer, they've got another album. I've just always had like this proudness, but also class vocalist, class dancer, the hairography, the look. Her solo material is fantastic. And I just think she is gas. Like her accent's so funny. She's such a great sense of humor. And I don't think you were expecting all of that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a bit of a throwaway question. But, you know, now I, I know a bit more about you. <laughs> no, let's move on from Girls Alive. <laughs> okay. my first time I've ever said that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's bring it back. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of more like sordid, like absolutely like crazy stories that would have come from that bar. But <laughs> well, I scrib- so I scribbled down when you were talking about your c- career progression through the through the bar that you were events manager for a while. Tell me, yeah. what, what what does that role entail? That was like, and I think I can talk about this now because it was like ten years ago. But like at the time, it was like oddly. You know what a small town is like. It was like this really controversial time in the bar. And basically the bar went into uh, liquidation. And a lot of the staff left or were fired. And I stayed and I was, this new manager came in. And I was just this like hungry gay who just like loved DJing, loved pop music. And was like, I want to DJ. I want to like run events. 
I had never sat behind a deck, set of decks before. My friend was a DJ and I would just watch. And I remember him saying, the manager being like, can you DJ? And I was like, yes. You know, I was, 18. <laughs> I was like, I have my CDs burned. I can. Um, you know, I have an Napster account. And just being like, going behind the decks for the first time, I knew how to put in a CD, press stop, up and down, which to be fair, most DJs. And I got offered like four nights a week because I just like knew my good pop music. I remember like my first track, Roisin Murphy, Overpowered, uh, into Hercules, Love Affair, Blind. And I just remember being like, do, 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 do. So I would do that four nights a week and then I would be in charge then of coming up with, um, yeah, to like different events. So we were just like, I mean, every tacky event that you possibly have under like a, a queer space. But that was really the seeds or what would later become like my club night that I run now that does quite well. And I had seen in college, somebody had introduced me to Party Monster and the book Disco Bloodbath. And I think like every <laughs> alt gay teen just really related with he James St. James. He is someone to aspire to. He is someone to aspire to. Well, I aspire to James St. James. Oh, okay. Not, okay. Uh, so I wasn't killing anybody. But so in my first year in the bar doing that, I was very good at DJing. I was very good at putting events together, but I was not professional, I would say, behind the bar. But to bring it back to the Party Monster night, I decided to start this queer alternative night in Cork that lasted one night, I'll have you know. Um, because just at the time, there just wasn't a need. There just, there, uh, people were, there just wasn't that scene. Um, like RuPaul's Drag Race was on season one. So there was no drag scene. There was no club kids and if there was club kids I was one of them my best friend at the time Lawrence was one of them and there was maybe a few other kind of scene hipstery kids but that was it there was no need for a full club night for us but I had a lot of fun myself and Lawrence were DJing we dressed as a kind of so he's a really good makeup artist and I remember having this gorgeous smoky eye and I was dressed kind of like a little angel which was a nod to the movie and we were DJing and I mean we got a, a nice crowd and there were some queens came and like a lot of students came but people just didn't know what it was and then a couple of weeks later the bar closed down. Oh. That's why there was no other one and about six months later when I was in college I, I, um, I just really wanted to get into events and I wanted to run that night again. So when I call the original name of my night, like 10, 11 years ago, was Disco Bloodbath. Like, how original? <laughs> so, because uh, at the time, it wouldn't have been a mainstream thing. And people were like, what is this? Like, this sounds terrifying. And I'd really gotten into drag over that summer. And I decided when I was in college in Limerick to run it again, but maybe more as a show. So I did drag for the very first time and hosted it. I had a DJ. I had lots of queens and burlesque performers. And that actually started my whole drag career. So it was the exact same night in a different city and it happened to work. And then that became like a, a regular thing in that city in Limerick. And then I left college and then continued my drag career from there. So it really having that space. And having that space to like actually run shit yourself, there might not a lot of been a lot of people there, but really that space started so much for me. It was also really where I start, saw my first drag queens. You know, um, and just in case you don't know, my my great granduncle was um, one of the world's most famous drag queens, Danny Larue. So I saw him oh. before. When, yeah, I saw him before when I was fourteen, and that was my very first drag show. Well, that was more of like a classic family-friendly show. <clears throat> and then when I was 18 and working in Instinct, 
I remember my very first proper drag queen was an alternative queen in Cork who uh, used to perform. Her name was Lucy Von Fur, and it was very alternative, like shaved, bald head, very Priscilla Queen of the Desert, like makeup up the face, a bit divine. Um, and doing that kind of stereotypical dress made out of balloons, popping the balloons. And it was New Year's Eve and I just thought it was fierce. And I was so intimidated and so scared. And then there was another two queens... <clears throat> Oh my God, I need to remember their names. Joanna jo- Joanna Wright and Gloria Hole. And they don't wait, perform. Wait, wait, any- wait. So Joanna Wright. Yes. I don't understand. I, I don't understand the joke. So that is um, an Irish. Oh, like, do you like, want it? Oh, yes. okay, 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 okay. Like Irish, Satan and Irish. <laughs> uh, I'm always Irish. like, yeah, it always takes me a long time to figure out the joke. But I mean, Gloria Hole, I was right there. Yeah, you were right, I'd say you were a girl. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, they, they would come on a Friday once a month. And again, that was my real big introduction to drag. And cocky me at the time, to be honest, was like, I could do this and I could do this better. <laughs> like every young queen. And um, this is actually a good bit of like Irish, like queer history. But we had this incredible drag competition, like more like very alternative drag competition called the Alternative Miss Ireland that ran from the late 80s up until 2012. And that was hosted by Panty Bliss, the drag queen in Dublin. And that was like prestigious to get into if you're one of the 10 queens or club kids or drag kings picked. And they would sometimes air that on TV. It was that big. And it was called like Gay Christmas in Ireland. Like the theatre was over 2000 people to go and see that. But Cork would hold like heats for that. An instinct was tied in with the other venue that would run that. And um, so maybe 10 queens would compete against each other and one would be picked to go off to the nationals. And I remember working in instinct and the DJ saying to me, you could do drag or you should do drag and you would be really good at it. And you should enter this competition and me going, yeah, yeah, I fucking should. And I was like, obsessed with Andy Warhol at the time because my art teacher in college uh, school had introduced me to Andy Warhol and Lady Gaga was like just coming out so it was very that kind of like cool electropop like beginnings and I was enlisted in it I was going to be a contestant and then the week before the competition it was cancelled I know six months later though I had done that club night and a couple of weeks later they just invited me to just be a contestant in the national one so I went straight in and thank God that fucking local one was cancelled because <laughs> even though I wasn't that polished in, in uh, September 2010, six months made a difference because I had six months to study and like watch loads of drag shows. And if I had gone out like <laughs> in the Cork one, it wouldn't have been a good moment. But it was again, it was just it was just this, especially that summer of like working like as a DJ and like having having these like thoughts of like, OK, I'm going to do drag oh, I'm going to run events, like having like lock-ins and like having like, again, like first like gay experiences and like staying up on like drinking. It was just like six months of like a lot of firsts and a lot of like seeds for what was to come. Mm. Mm. Even though it was like, again, it was messy. I look back on it with some really fond memories and thankfulness because if I didn't work there, I don't know. I don't know, like, I don't know what I would be doing now. Maybe I would be doing this, but it, Mm. it was... It was definitely just introduced me to, to so much. And I also just got away with like so much shit. Like <laughs> I remember, I remember, and again, like just my friend Lawrence, who was working there at the time, um, 
seeing him, you know, like sneak shots behind the bar while serving customers and I'll take like the odd shot and like, <laughs> just like think like, just be like so sneaky. And I was a bar, I sorry, I was a glass collector when I first started. And then I taught myself how to work behind the bar. And then by the time I was like one of the people in charge on a Friday night, I was the only manager and I would have like two young girls like under underneath me that's the only time I could ever say that but um we would supposed to be finished at half 12 and I remember this every Friday night we would supposed to be finished at half 12 and we get to like half 10 quarter to 11 and I would flash the lights to get all the customers out and we would be drinking the entire time and then we go clubbing to like this game club night that was only open on Fridays called Ruby's and we would go dancing there and then we would come back and have a lock-in to like six in the morning. And then the next night, the manager would be like, should we all stay for drinks tonight? And we were like, oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> but we would have been like drinking the bar dry the whole night before and like like playing a pop music and like swinging off the, the light bars. It was just, when you just think back to that time, it's just absolutely like chaotic, but like so lovely. And and never and just not even thinking about the consequences of your actions because like never. so you were put in charge of a bar. How old were yeah. you? Eighteen. <gasps> That's terrifying. Terrifying, That's but it was so exciting. And I remember. <clears throat> so I mean, it was really hard. But like at the time, you know, I had been working with like maybe eight really close friends, and they were my first like proper gay friends. And um, the manager at the time was let go. The bar went into liquidation. All the staff were either like let go or they moved on. And so that created a lot of conflict because a lot of the, the staff at the time who left went on to work in the, com- the or competition, the competitive gay bar, and instantly that relationship just ended. Mm. So, it, which was so silly looking back now. And we've spoken about that like since. I mean, I don't really, I would have contact with them, but you know. Um, oh, but so it was just like, pff, you're dead to me. Oh, Unfriending God. you on MySpace. Oh, completely. Oh, yeah. Wow. Now, I'm pretty sure like, apologies have come through over the years of being like wow we were so silly you were a kid I was like listen I'm working two days a week I'm in college there's this really handy job and I get to DJ why would I leave mm. you know so at the time it was just really fun but I remember the the, the new manager at the time just saw kind of promising me that I was really good at coming up with events or ideas and I was good at the music and I remember him handing the keys to me and this is at like three or four o'clock in the day <clears throat> And I remember I got the keys and I closed the bar and it was me on my own. And I was quite, I was always quite frightened to be in there on my own. It was an old fire uh, station, I think, or firehouse or something Which like that. where was, the pole came from? Maybe. No, <laughs> not at all. Um, but it, it, so it was quite creepy in there. But I remember going in and ringing some of my friends and was like, I'm a manager in a bar. And the very first thing I did was I went behind the decks. I turned on girls allowed sexy no 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 the (laughs) loudest that I could go and I filled the entire bar with smoke and I just ran around being like yes this is my life (laughs) and yeah it only lasted six months but it was fucking great and see this is why I think it's terrifying to put an 18 year old in charge (laughs) that was not a good idea and like if I knew now looking back that I could have gotten away with more I would have but I don't know who I was afraid of there was no one looking over me (laughs) Like we were in liquidation and they were like, whatever, just run it. Because <laughs> I think the people who own the bar own like 20 bars in the city and they went into liquidation and they kept us open because we were making money and they saw me as a way of, okay, he, he's, he has good ideas and it's bringing people in <sighs> for like six months. 
Yeah, I know, so okay. silly. Actually, really, really funny as well. And I'm pretty sure I can talk about this now because who the fuck, like, whatever, it's like been 12 years. The, one of the main reasons that we, or my manager was let go at the time was, and I find this so funny to this day, she decided to run, like, with the owner of the bar, like, a two-day music weekend and book loads of, like, novelty acts. And one of the closing acts was going to be Bananarama, who also I, like, obsessed with. And they decided to cancel the event, but they also forgot to tell any of the acts. <laughs> and I think that's pretty much what happened. And, like, Bananarama were like, we're getting paid our full amount for this. So she owed them, like, thousands and thousands and thousands. And that was that was one of the things that really, like, pushed the bar into business. So I still lull when I hear Bananarama and think about that, because I just find that so funny. So, okay, so Bananarama were, like, hanging around outside, like, where... No, where, no, 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 no. Let me <laughs> They were told, like, a week before that it wasn't happening, and they were like, that's not good enough. We're, like, Bananarama, so you're going to pay, you know. And I can't remember, there was Rick Astley, there was, like... There was a few other, like, just, like, novelty acts, and I remember, like, they were all booked, and they were given, like, less than a week notice. I remember we had some really good, like, pop-acts, though. Like, I remember, like, we had Bewitched. And I remember being Did really excited. Did you just excited. say really good pop act and then say Bewitched? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm <laughs> like, I grew up on Bewitched. So come on, that, they were our Spice Girls. Um, but the, the, the main thing and the takeaway that I'm getting from this conversation is that Bananarama were single-handedly responsible for closing instinct. Oh, completely. Yeah, Com- okay, good. Just as long as you know that. Yeah, I, just, I, just, I, just, I remember that being on the DS. That's probably like, if people from Cork listen to that, it's probably going to be their first time listening to it. But I remember... There's so many just stories that I just like, I'm trying to rack my head, but I remember that just that really standing out to me by going, wait, we've cancelled the event? Oh, wait, they're getting in touch. And I do remember, <laughs> what's, the, what, what's the person who comes, you know, with your letter of, you know, your due in court? Oh, yeah. The bet, no. Uh, something, summons, man. About, the summon, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, there was there was quite a few letters dropped in. <gasps> oh, Wow. And you, don't, you no. don't want to fuck with Rick Astley or Bananarama. No, you just no. pay that bill. I'm sorry, and Karen, you don't want to fuck with them. <laughs> but like, as somebody now who's like self-employed and working like in that like world, if somebody fucked up me and canceled my gig a couple of days before, I would be the same. And not like not to mention, but being banana fucking rama do you know what I mean well I mean yeah okay like I know I'm making light of this but like it's pretty pretty uh standard thing to do if you're going to cancel the event tell people that you've booked that you've cancelled the event yeah pretty much yeah yeah so (laughs) so maybe it was okay to put an 18 year old in charge given what was what came before be honest that place, I mean, the the reason that we can't we closed down was um, somebody bought it. So, like, although that we weren't like mega busy at the time, because basically what happened was there was a separate bar somewhere else in the city, and they had like a, on a Wednesday night uh, a club night, and but they were a primarily straight bar. But the owner was gay at the time, and he always wanted it to be a gay bar. Wait, the owner at the time was gay, or he was gay at the time? The the owner <laughs> the owner of the manager of that venue was gay, and I knew, and he he wanted that venue to be a gay bar Monday to Friday, you know, or Monday to Sunday. And the week we closed for one week when the manager was let go, and there was you know new staff being brought in. And during that week, they switched it like that to a gay wow. bar. Wow. So that really affected us and closed us down a lot. And like ninety percent of the staff from my old bar went there. So that really. 
soured things for us as well because I was really like I remember being so excited wow I get to teach you wow I get to events I got to hire some of my friends to come in I mean they really were just like everything going there fine do you know but it was also like a loss of my friends at the time and and then uh, my first experience of like having a business rivalry or club night rivalry or like other people on the scene and that's something that's always stuck with me because I, I did I run um I have like a, a drag house macchia, we have like a cabaret and we have our club nights and it's always stuck in my head. Why, when you're trying to create something that should be so special and so, you know, a safe space, why would I try to tear others down who are maybe trying to do the same thing? And I, I find that the same. I know obviously with bars and, and club nights, it's a money thing as well. Like we're businesses, we're trying to make a living. But you have like, I just, I don't think it's the... I, yeah I've always found that fascinating and look we need these spaces and like it's important that we all stay open support each other and maybe we can all support stay open don't try to tear each other down you know I I know for a fact different buyers in the time at the time in Cork would be going out of their way to try and get the other one in trouble yeah yeah do you um do you find that with drag as well I talk about this a lot and I think um maybe 80 percent yeah like ah. so um like i'm doing drag september now i'll be doing drag 10 years so i've kind of like seen pretty much every type of queen there is uh, out there and uh when i started my drag house machia two and a half years ago honestly the main reason that i started it was because i wanted a drag family and i wanted a, a safe space for me to be in because i had really gotten so run down and tired and exhausted by being in what i think should be safe spaces i.e a dressing room or on a stage performing and just having either queens or performers or like gays in the audience like critique or read or or bitch or try to get me off the show or like just be really horrible and i never I never understood it and I never will because as queer people, we spend so much of our lives feeling isolated or feeling different. And then we come out and we get to like enjoy these spaces and enjoy each other's companies. And what happens a lot of the time, which really upsets me, is suddenly we're tearing each other apart or tearing each other down when we should be supporting each other, lifting each other up and going, you're okay. Mm. Like, and you don't have to be all kumbaya and best friends with each other that's not that's not human but i've just i've just just never understood tearing someone else down especially when it's something like drag or being you know a drag king or club kid like we are so brave going out putting makeup costume on and like walking down the street and walking it and also performing like it's it's fierce but it's also quite brave because it's like it's really pushing yourself out there so to tear each other down makes no sense to me and um when i started my house it, i mean it was slightly by accident it was um in cork city i had come back for it was supposed to be just one summer and i was never really involved with the prides here um even though i'm the main queen in the city a lot of the prides would have again come from this rivalry bar or like people associated with it so i decided to run like a one-off night which was a vogue ball thinking that no one would come and it sold out it did so well and it was just such this like refreshing atmosphere of this is so different 
like straight people, gay people, queer people, everyone together, dressing up and like rocking the runway and just being so silly and loving. And out of that came two new queens. And then I decided to run a different event the next month, which was a cabaret and then another queen or two. And now we're like at the stage where it's, you know, like a monthly club night, and a monthly show and we're doing stuff around the country and we're still, it's still very grassroots. Like it's all done by ourselves and we're still climbing. But even us as a group of queens, we're known in Ireland for being very friendly and very like inviting and there's still pockets of queens around the country who are very like catty and competitive mm. and that's something with with my own drag that I really try to change other like I ch- try to change people's perspectives that we can be catty but I also try to change queens attitudes and behaviors when they're on my show it's yeah. like look we might not come out as best friends but you're a professional there's not like why are you being catty like I don't care if you're like doing drag 10 years or one month, or you're a drag king, or you're a drag queen. No one's better than each other. And a lot of people come out of my show with a much nicer attitude, and I quite like that. So I feel like through the show, we're, we're doing good, at least, and also like creating this really fun atmosphere for us. Um, and don't get me wrong, like there's queens on my show who like I kill, and we kill each other, but that's just because you just want the best of them. And, and, and just like... I think every queen is like, you know, when you get a really good gig or a good job or you look absolutely stunning, yes, you go, yes, congrats, like, you look so good, but you're still secretly like, fuck, I want to look better, like, I want that gig, you know, we just take it with a pinch of salt, as like, as long as that's something you're aware of and you're and you're not going outwardly to be, to be negative, like, I'm fine, you yeah. know? Yeah, and I guess, so, I mean... Uh, like the sorry i speak so much by the way no 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 don't <laughs> worry but like so being captain obvious like that that bitchiness comes from a place of insecurity obviously oh um but do you not think that like by having houses you're kind of perpetuating that competitiveness so um a lot of people so th- when i created like my drag house we were really the first drag house in ireland to start with so um we would very much not be uh, a drag house that you might associate with um, in New York in a, in a ballroom scene where it's it's very like competitive. And so I have like two Vogue balls every year, one in Cork, one in Dublin for Prides. And then in between that, we have our shows. And even at the Vogue ball from day one, people are so nervous when they come in. And then I'm straight on the mic and I'm like, look, we're not in New York. We're not on the ballroom scene. I know there's not going to be death drops left, right and center. But if there's a category that you want to walk, walk. And if you're shit or if you're amazing, everybody in here needs to cheer as loud equally. And from day one, that has just set such a lovely like atmosphere at my gigs. So people know when they're coming to see us that it's fun. And like it's going to be a fear show, but it's fun. Um, and that's what we're known as. Like when people in other cities like talk about like the House of Machia, they know that like we're a really good standard of drag, but we're also bonkers crazy and really, really fun because we'll go out there and we'll do a dance number and like some voguing, but then we'll go straight into like a skit and like a comedy section. And I just, I've always tried to have that mix. I've never really... I mean, yeah, if I'm watching a drag performer and she's fierce and it's kakada 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 boom and that's her thing, great. I do find that like funny or sorry, I do find that fierce, but I find it more endearing and relatable like when a queen is, I don't know, more funny and silly and friendly. I've always, yeah, yeah, I've always believed that 
a drag queen should be the life and soul of a party. Okay. Why why would you book a queen or go and see a queen if she's being a bitch and standing in the corner giving you a, um, a snarl? And that has always been in my head. I mean, that might be your thing. But, um, might be, yeah. but like, so are there other houses then in Ireland? Slowly now, yeah. Okay. There's like smaller houses coming up on the scene of like newer, younger queens. But you like totally want to be the best, right? Oh, yeah. So then, so then how do you get that balance right between competitiveness um, and... I think always being... I'm like, you will die if you're against me. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I won't. I, I just, just, no. <laughs> I, like, I mean, I, I'm like that anyway with my drag. Like, I'm always like, wow, she's a great look. No, I need to be 10 times better. <laughs> so I will never, one thing that I will never do, and I teach this to my girls as well, never copy another queen. And it's very important to be aware of what other performers are doing and what other club nights are doing. But don't let that affect your own art or what you're about or your own brand. So, I mean, that's easier said than done. There's times where you're scoring through Instagram and someone's doing really well and you're seething. (laughs) You know, but for, for me, it's always trying to think five or ten steps ahead. And with my club nights and my shows, I just come up with themes that I think people are just going to love and really enjoy. And I try to come up with performances that I'm dying to do. And I feel like people are going to like absolutely love. And to be honest, sometimes I think it reads in a club night or a performance or uh, like a group of queens when they're actually creating the night or performance to go out of their way to be like, hey, look at us, we're the best. Or be really authentically themselves and enjoy what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when it comes to my own drag and what I when I come up with the club nights and the group numbers and things like that, I just go, okay, we're absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Let's act it and like not worry about what, what's happening. Yeah. But one thing, one thing that I've always um, maintained is that I think we're really polished and really fierce and and really well put together, but also shit. And like that's that that's what I've always never wanted to let go of because when we first started, and I suppose this brings it back to to spaces and stuff as well. I personally just love a good grimy, like shitty space, you know. And I I've always wanted to when I run my nights, I like finding a really unusual space and putting the drag show on in there. So for the first year, we were in this really tiny old man's pub in Cork called the Poor Relation. And we were able to fit 60 or 70 people in there, but we'd squeeze 100 and everyone would be sitting on the floor and the sound would go every five minutes. And the like, it was just so bad, but it was so good. And it was so special because it was really the first of its kind in the city, just this really bonkers alternative drag night. And then obviously it's gotten bigger. So we've, we've climbed and climbed, but I've always maintained that look, there's something about shit and unpolished about us. And I think that's our thing. I mean, sometimes the curtain's about to open in 10 minutes, but we're behind the curtain going, what choreography are we doing? Or like, what will we do? You know, and I just always joke about that on the mic. And I think people really relate and they really like that. And I've always said to the queens as well, when you're walking around that club, say hello and smile and thank people for being there and ask them, are they having a good night? Because the reason they're there supporting you and they're there paying your wage and like if there was nobody there you wouldn't be working and you need to make sure that those people are going to come back and enjoy you and enjoy your show so when people come to work to my gigs or to, to the Macchiato gigs I just like people to have 
the best time and leave feeling that they were a part of that show as well. So we are going all over the place and I'm keeping you quite late. Um, So let's go back to Instinct Bar. Let's go back. Let's go go right back. I love talking about that. um, So were you working there when it closed? Yeah. And what what did that feel like? I remember being so upset because... And it was such a specific time that I closed as well because I closed the weekend of Halloween, which was like so homophobic. <laughs> and I remember being in college. So I would go to our college in Limerick Monday to Friday and I would be up there in the evenings after college, like designing the posters. And there wasn't a huge lot of social media, but I would be doing, you know, posting what I could and stuff. And I remember that weekend would have been our Halloween party and just getting the call going, OK, you're not going back to work. You're getting like a week. Yeah, you're getting a week's wage. The place is being cleared out. And I should I really should have seen it coming because again the bars that this group owned were going into liquidation and they were closing left right and they were bringing us in going like do you want extra pocket money? Do you want to help us close the bar? It's just that we were constantly told you're doing great. Um and we were kept open at least 4 or 5 months later than the rest. So we were hmm. not very busy but we were doing okay. And I definitely knew it wasn't going to last quite long. Uh, but for it to be closed, I would absolutely no, not notice. And I wasn't able to say goodbye to my friends. I wasn't able to say goodbye to the space. I wasn't able to even go in and get like all my CDs. <gasps> you know, oh, and I remember no. I had like art, like from, you know, like my college interview, like I'm the attic, because it had become that space where I would just go in on a Monday when it was closed and just draw stuff like that. Um so it was just yeah, a lot just taken away from us really quickly. And, and I remember just being really scared. Yeah. And then just having to try and find a job to get me through college. <sighs> so, yeah, I remember being so sad. So, so I know it's not really the point of the story, but did you get your CDs back? Did I get my CDs back? I don't think I did. <gasps> I th- oh, no. I mean- I mean, I would have had a collection of them with me, but I remember like up in the DJ thing, like most DJs did at the time, just like lots of scattered CDs and like just like posters and just stuff that I mean, I would say to go back in now, it would have just been like a collector's dream for that time, you know, like posters for the drag shows and just like all the CDs and like the the really old decks and things like that were just like taken and thrown out because um, the funny thing was it was. So there was a really, really tiny gay bar on the opposite side of the city and they bought it. So they opened it with the exact same name, which was so confusing. And now it didn't last that long. I think it lasted six months and it was also quite seedy. Now I say seedy, it was seedy. Like we were just like this camp gay pop club. They had more like, like they turned like smoking area into like a dark room, like like I had a cage, like all that type of stuff, which is like absolutely nonsense going for like a tiny like town. Like what were they thinking? Um, but people thought I still worked there. And I remember being like, no, I don't work in there. Like I have nothing against like that. But like at the time being 18, I'm like, no, I don't work in there. <laughs> you know, like I don't do that. And I remember just being so sad because it was just like the re-closing of a chapter. And I remember before I ended up in retail for a couple of years, a few weeks later, I just got a job in a bar in Limerick in the town that I was in. And I lasted three days because it was so strict and I was like this is not the fun bar experience that I'm used to <laughs> what do you mean I can't play girls aloud <laughs> play anything there was, there, was a, there was a dress code I mean I was at that stage of you know being at fashion college 
and dressing like absolutely so stupidly. But like at the time, I mean, I think that everybody when they're 18 to their early 20s should just go through a phase of like just dressing however they want. And I would have like Dead or Alive cassettes or like vinyls like around my neck and like back with cap. And be like, <laughs> woo! just like so stupid like uv page and just like really enjoying myself like dressing up each each saturday night that i was working and it was just like a really fun special time so i think when that closed it was it was quite sad for me and i finished the year at irish in college and i had gotten like a part-time job in retail and then i moved to dublin for two months for the summer and there was there's a very famous bar in dublin called the george and they would have a really regular drag shows and years later I would become one of those queens but I that summer I remember just going to drag shows three four nights a week and when I went back in September I knew going back into September I was like I'm going to start running those club nights that I was working I love working on ideas wise uh, in the old instinct in college and that's what started my drag career but so I didn't like lose like the the want to do events and stuff but just having this like really fab space Mm. taken away from me was just so so sad and I mean, the, I can't say much about the other bar that kind of like pushed us out of um, business because it's still open and some of my friends work in there and uh, and that's great. But and it's and it's much more of a gay venue now, but it's at the at the time it was much more of like a, a business corporate decision. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's a bar that's owned by a, a chain. So it wasn't this kind of like little grassroots little yeah. bar being run by like a little queer um family it is now but at the time it was very like it just felt very personal yeah that being taken away from you as an 18 year old yeah 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 like because yeah there's that sense of ownership isn't there oh completely yeah Yeah. and it was also just like a really like exciting time to be like in charge of things and like just I'm so proud like yeah I wasn't like doing that well but like bringing friends in and going I can run a club night and I can dress this and you know like I've I can give keys. my friends, <laughs> I've got the keys like does anyone want a drink like boom like like free drink I remember at the time and I probably shouldn't say this we can laugh about it now but there was a girl who I hired and her very first night I poured her so much drink while she was working behind the bar she ended up in A&E <gasps> <laughs> like we can laugh we laughed about it afterwards and we've laughed about it years later but she woke up in the middle of the street she like ambulance came she woke up in A&E and I was like what happened <laughs> you know it was my measurements I was never properly trained so like anyone who would I mean people would come up to me to get served because I would just be like like pouring the measurements I just didn't know what I was doing this looks right that's right and they were getting like triples instead of a single so so funny looking back. And so, oh why why did the bar go bankrupt? Um, uh... I know. <laughs> oh, like, no, that was honestly the least the least um, serious thing that was happening among that bar group. But I don't. I wouldn't say too much. Besides banana rama and free drink going missing, <laughs> there, there was a lot more serious things going on. I think <clears throat> that I didn't really know much about. I mean, I didn't care. I was just more like, is the bar staying open? And do we get to like play pop music? You know. <laughs> Did you ever go to Instinct Bar? Well, if you did, I would love to hear from you. Please share your stories and anecdotes and any photos that you might have uh, through social media. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter under the username Music. 
And you can also find out more about Candy by following her on Instagram. Her username is Candy Warhol Queen. Lost Spaces is not only a podcast, but a concept record as well. I've been writing songs about queer venues and the people who used to live their lives there, and will be releasing songs over the next year. You can hear the first single, Well Groom Boys, which is also playing underneath my talking right now, on all streaming platforms. If you like this episode, I'd really appreciate if you subscribed, left a review on Apple Podcasts, or just told people who you think might be interested in finding out more too. I am Kay Anderson, and you've been listening to Lost Spaces.